0: Welcome to Cross-Section, conversations at the intersection of faith, news and culture. Hi, I'm Jo Evans and welcome to Cross-Section. Today we're going to return to something of a classic Cross-Section theme, where we look not only at the biggest news stories of this week, but also think about how that news is presented to us. We live in a time where we have access to so much information at all times of day. And as we think about what difference being a Christian makes as we process the news, it's important to reflect on how that information is presented. But it feels like we couldn't really do today's episode without starting with the story that's been dominating the headlines. On Sunday morning, a tourist submarine on a journey to view the wreck of the Titanic lost contact with its base and there's been a gripping hunt to find the vessel over the week and the five passengers on board. I should say we are recording at 20 past 12 on Thursday the 22nd of June In theory, there's only a couple of hours of oxygen left on board, and the submarine has not, as of yet, been found. We wanna talk about this story in and of itself, but there's been an interesting analysis appearing online where this story has been compared to a tragic incident last week, where up to 500 people are still missing from a migrant boat that sank off the coast of Greece. Including large numbers of women and children, and where at least seventy-eight are confirmed dead. Um, Danny, do you want to come in first on both the on- ongoing story and this kind of story comparison that's come up?
1: Yeah, I, I think the the interest and fascination in the Titanic sub is is entirely understandable. There are so many uh, components of it that make it a great news story. Uh, just. Like there is the the hunt, the fact that time is running out and and it seems like it is like, obviously people are still hoping that the submarine will be found, but the time for that is decreasing. The fact that it's in a remote part of the Atlantic. the fact that these people had paid a lot of money to go and view the Titanic, which has its own place in our kind of historic folklore that people are fascinated. So all of these components come together to explain why it's such an interesting story, why we have uh, breaking news, live story feeds on all of the news websites about it. But I think it is worth noting the comparison to the comparable lack of attention. It's not that no attention was given to the the boat in the Mediterranean, because it was featured quite significantly. Uh, But in that case, yes, potentially up to 700, 750 people on board, 100 survivors. 70 or 80 have been confirmed dead, with 500 still missing. It is a hugely tragic situation. And that rescue effort is still ongoing. They are still finding, at this point, bodies from that disaster. But I think it does ask questions, the fact that countries around the world have been sending their, their best resources to try and find this submarine in the Atlantic. Have we been devoting our best resources to the lives that were lost in the Mediterranean?
0: yeah a lot has been made of the of the wealth of the passengers on board the, the submarine in comparison to the migrants on the boat of Greece. And I guess I guess the suggestion of the images that have been coming up, you know on Instagram stories and things like that. Yesterday, I believe Wednesday was world Refugee day. The, the suggestion is that Cora people's lives. Have been valued less highly. Peter, what, what do you make of that claim? I think
2: it's definitely worth assessing, first of all. So I think it's it's fair we asked the question. I kind of think there was almost a flip where it was like, well, the billionaires were doing something by choice, it's a tourist trip, even that description. Hey, it was almost like a devaluing of people who are wealthy. My own view is. It wouldn't, if there were five military explorers or five, ever, anybody going to explore that site was going to be of interest. As Danny said, there's a certain amount of just the time narrative on that so It's a 24 hour news cycle. So we have to be careful not to flip the other way and then devalue people just because they were rich, which was almost the way some of those memes were going but I think the basic question is a good one. You know, How do we value all lives equally? How do we recognize that? And have we committed the same level of resources? I seem to remember, I think it was a Russian sub got stuck a number of years ago, a military sub. And I mean, again, everybody put all the resources into it to trying to find that when everybody was offering their help. So I don't think it's as simple as some of the memes have been making out and almost a disregard for people simply because they were wealthy. But at the same time, what drives us is the human connection in these stories. And it is human beings and human lives. And as Danny said, there was reasonable coverage, but I do think there's an underlying question. How do we cover uh, things like the refugee crisis as well? And how do we look at those stories? And they don't capture attention in the same way. It's pop. I think there's some of it is because we've heard some stories like that before, and we've got to recognize that we become a little numb to it. The sheer numbers involved can be overwhelming. And there is an empathy question for some people where they're going to identify with, with uh, the story of, of the people in the sub differently, potentially because they can, they feel they can resonate differently. But that, so we, I think it's good to ask the underlying questions: what's driving our own interest in the news and the news agenda, without falling for stereotypes, maybe from either side of that agenda.
0: Yeah, I think that's really helpful. I think you get these, you get these sort of comparisons every once in a while, and they always make me slightly uncomfortable because whether this is the intention or not I couldn't say but it always feels like pitting some lives against others valuing lives against other lives which I guess is kind of the point because they're saying the argument is that they're always highlighting lives that haven't been valued as highly but I I, I just something just makes me uncomfortable about equating two stories almost because they are two different stories the narrative is different and so, of course, they've been covered in a different way. Whilst at the same time, it, it's right to ask difficult questions about the migrant boat off of Greece. And the BBC is doing an investigation into how the Greek Coast Guard handled that situation.
1: There is an interesting thing when you look at the kind of the choices people make in that we do have people who have paid quarter of a million dollars each to go and look at the Titanic's up. They signed waivers. Someone was talking about it, how that it frequently mentions the risk of death. So in some ways, they knew exactly what they were doing. Uh, maybe they didn't actually think it was going to happen or think it was that serious. I suspect this kind of endeavor is less likely to happen or certainly less frequently. I think with the with the migrants, I think, you have to consider the fact that yes on one level they chose to do this but some of them would have been trafficked some of them are being well they are being smuggled across the mediterranean they've paid uh, often vast sums of money to people on to be put on overcrowded boats that has put their lives in significant risk but they have done that because they consider that that is a risk that that they want to take in order to achieve safety or to reach another country so in most of these situations there is a level of choice involved but that doesn't then negate the need to care for in both categories the lives that are involved and our response should be to seek to preserve and to protect life in in whatever category that is in
2: i think there's a small language point as well just that like billionaires, tourists, refugees, migrants. We know the language is really important as we think about people coming into the country. And we're we're trying to be really alert to that. Each of those does a little tiny piece of framing, maybe subconsciously, and just checking ourselves to think, why have we articulated that way? Why why are we using that phrasing? Are we sending a, a subtle or or actually quite obvious message about the value and importance of people? And billionaires is not necessarily positive in a lot of these stories, it's being used as a bit of a negative. So we just, again, it really reminds me of how we frame things ourselves, but also how news and other outlets and how important language is in driving the conversation.
0: So I guess, where do I want to conclude on that story? My encouragement would be to to be careful in our comparison, never to pit some lives as more worthy or more valuable than others, but let's be praying for all those involved, both those missing and their families. And yeah, I guess by the time this comes out, these both these stories might have new facts come to light. On Tuesday of this week, controversial influencer and former kickboxer Andrew Tate and his brother Tristan were charged with rape and human trafficking in Romania, where they now await trial. I wanted to talk about this story, not so much for the story itself, where really I just hope and pray that the justice system works and works the way it's meant to. But to look at and talk about the way this story has been handled by news outlets, particularly the BBC, who Newsbeat, the kind of section of BBC aimed at at young people, so of course I listen to it, Um, (laughs) um, they received a lot of criticism for not airing the voice of supporters of Andrew Tate. He's someone who has a huge following, particularly amongst young men. So Newspeak's response was to host kind of a round table debate, really, about some of Andrew Tate's views and the ways that they have been quoted and represented, which I I just found a really interesting thing for a news outlet to do and it got me thinking about how we present controversial topics how the news represents controversial topics and we put a poll out as we do every week asking our listeners should news outlets give equal coverage to both sides of controversial topics I was quite surprised by the results. Have you two seen this yet?
1: I saw them while they were in motion yesterday. I haven't seen the final results.
2: What is the final result? Come on, Jo, bit of breath.
0: Well, we had over 100 votes, which we love to see. 58% of people voted yes. Both sides should receive equal coverage. 19% said no. And 22% of people said sometimes. And there were various interesting comments below. You should go and check that out on our Twitter feed at ea uk news but i guess i i was i was predicting that we were gonna see overwhelmingly people thought that sometimes both sides should be represented so i was just i thought that was
1: interesting i think it's uh, someone responded i retweeted the poll and someone responded about well what about if there's more than two sides or more than both sides and, and i think that's Helps to illustrate some of the challenges here, and that often it's not a simple. There's two sides to this. Therefore, we have a for and against. Often, the issues are complex, and you have people with different degrees of nuance, or passion, or interest. And sometimes, having a both sides approach can push you to the extreme, where you want the the very vocal people on both sides of a debate they get the hearing. Actually, this is something the media are often criticised for, is to go for the polarised debates. So they give both sides, but are they actually giving space for the nuance and the, the arguments that are more complex that don't necessarily fit into one of those categories? And I think that's where the editorial decisions in the media are challenging, because you do want to present a range of perspectives on an issue but there will always be decisions about how you weight that how much airtime you give to different views and which different views you give airtime to so i i was i think i was quite encouraged that actually quite a lot of people are recognizing the nuance and the challenge that is sometimes in these issues
0: and i guess speaking as a consumer i was confused might be too strong a word but when i saw that newsbeat were doing this of of having this debate of different views around andrew tate it kind of made me think does that mean does that mean that i need to make sure i i'm giving andrew tate a fair assessment so this morning i've been doing a deep deep dive internet search into andrew tate looking at a sort of fan website Oh, it wasn't a pleasant experience. And I hate to think what my cookies have absorbed. Is that the right (laughs) phrase? But it did, to be clear, Andrew Tate, if we just go on pure facts of what we know he said and what we know he's done, he he set up a webcam business in Romania. And taking that fact alone, I don't believe someone could do that and not be a misogynist. That's my view. Yeah, the webcam
2: of, business, sorry, you but that that in you haven't said enough maybe to make sure you get us over that line. The webcam business was showing of just, females.
0: It wasn't uh, just uh, it yes. was a
2: webcam business, sorry, but it was
0: Yes, sorry, not a business selling with web- webcams, a business in which women undressed and performed yes. for viewers. Just
2: yeah. for clarity, people didn't know what Andrew Tate was doing. Sorry, and know yeah. no, no, the no, charges no. go beyond that, but yes.
0: No. That's a very fair point. I have clearly been reading too much about Andrew Tate this morning.
1: But to to come back to Andrew Tate particularly, I think it is useful for people to understand that he does have significant support. Uh, Now, you can question that support and talk about whether it is uh, reasonable or not. But actually, I think if you don't engage with it, people then kind of dismiss the mainstream coverage. And this actually comes back to what we talked about last week about uh, conspiracy theories and the media in that there is often a thought that actually the mainstream media isn't giving enough attention to certain topics and therefore topics go underground and people develop their own kind of ecosystem of comment and ideas. And that's where these ideas flourish because they're not challenged whereas actually when things are brought into the open there is an opportunity to debate it I remember over the years there have been various questions about should you invite far-right politicians onto question time going back to Nick Griffin who was leader of the British National Party should he be on uh, question time well actually I think it was a good thing that he was on question time because he was exposed to the challenge of his ideas so I I just generally, I'm in favour of giving people the opportunity to have their views challenged. I think those views do need challenging. But I think that's where actually, I think we should have a media that gives plenty of different perspectives. And I think there's a there is a an aspect that we want to say, actually, sometimes Christian thoughts and ideas are in a minority. And I think there is a space to ensure that those views are given airtime. Now, I'm not expecting that they're uncritically welcomed, but I think it is valuable that we have a, a media landscape that is open to different views, it is open to ideas that people might disagree and doesn't just present it as this is the settled uh, opinion on a matter.
2: Yeah, like even a year ago, Andrew Tate had 11.6 billion views on TikTok before he came to more, if you like, mainstream news prominence. I, I spoke at an event about six months ago, a Christian event, and somebody was relatively dismissive, rightly dismissive in my view of Andrew Tate, the speaker, and the questions, the Q&A, there were a lot of questions pushing back on that and asking around that, which was fascinating to me. So his reach, particularly amongst young men, I think the BBC site was saying that, I mean, under 35s, big engagement, and particularly amongst young men. So my questions are, I have deep problems with his content, what I've seen of it. Why is he so engaging? So what are we getting wrong, both culturally and often as Christians? Why is he and many others able to engage the constituency of young men in a way that we as the church and we as Christians are not doing as well? So I want to critique some of what he's doing for sure, but also look at, OK, have we got something wrong? Are we failing to provide good role models that a lot of Christian young guys I know are going and looking at Andrew Tate. That's a problem that we need to address and talk about why that is.
0: Yeah, that's deeply, deeply disturbing to me. It's a
2: significant role model in that age category because I think they're not seeing good male role models in that. So we go to the kind of toxic masculinity stuff. We also go to the kind of is there a space? What does it mean to be male like? they ask pretty profound fundamental questions. We're not going to deal with them all now, but I so I it i I, I agree. I want to be critical of energy. I mean, some of the stuff I've seen, awful, absolutely appalling. I now want to know why people are prepared to engage in that and what they think is missing in their life. Christian or non-Christian, I'm so curious as to why people are going after this guy. And he has provided a particular model that seems to be macho men, down with women, uh, and, and a kind of violent edge to it. Right. So why why are people drawn to that? And what bits can we point out are wrong? And what bits can we say there is a better and alternative way? Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that's helpful. And, you know, as always, if people can give any insight into that, email us cross.section at ea.uk.org. I'm just aware if there's anyone who's listening who actually doesn't know much about who Andrew Tate is. Just again, on my on my researching this morning, there's this whole thread of comments he made around if a woman cheats, she deserves to be stoned. Polygamous relationships are fine as long as it's the man who's having multiple relationships. If the woman does, again, she deserves to be stoned. This is the sort of things he's he has said. And just a comment uh, from this this BBC Newsbeat discussion that I read, and I thought was interesting. I'd love to know what you thought or what you make of it. Uh, they said listening to our audience is key. It's their world we are reflecting and informing. What, what do you make that as a as a comment from a from a news outlet?
2: Well, so it's news and opinion. So the opinion side is informing that what is new. So news, no, reporting the facts. But everybody makes a decision. So historically, it was the gatekeepers, the key editors, and the big three TV channels back in the day, and a half dozen newspapers. They were massive gatekeepers. But the reality is, Andrew Tate and Joe Rogan's a very different character, but Joe Rogan's reach on Spotify is massive. And again, he had uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. on recently. He said some controversial stuff. He said, okay, bring anybody else on. I'll debate anybody. Let's have open conversation, but people don't want to do it. But he does long form interviews. So I, I do think if mainstream media doesn't reflect the view of somebody who supports Andrew Tate and bring it in for engagement, I think we're going to be in trouble. The level of views he has, you can't pretend he doesn't exist. But I, the reflecting your world, that's an opinion and a subjective piece. And that's different than news reporting, which should be largely more factual. But there is always going to be commentary on it. So let's acknowledge that and talk about the views that you're bringing into play. theres I don't like the kind of naive, hey, we're neutral. All we're doing is just present." There's no such thing as neutral. Everybody has a worldview. So let's us come in and say, hey, I'm coming from a Christian worldview. I want to talk to you about the God story. Somebody else, Andrew Tate, is coming with a very openly misogynistic, and he says, I like the idea of being free to do what I want, and I have a dominant view of the world, dot, dot, dot. Let's talk about that, and let's engage and challenge that. But likewise, let's not pretend that every other news site is coming from an objective perspective. It's not. Mm
0: All right. Well, I found that discussion helpful. Like I said, do get in touch and let us know what you think. I'm. I'm going to take a moment to talk about our emails. We have had, a, I would say, a flurry of encouraging emails of late. One uh, woman emailed in to say that the episode that we did with Emma Scrivener last season was life-giving. If you've not listened to that, you can find all of our previous episodes on the cross-section webpage, as well as wherever you would normally listen to podcasts. Hi, Alicia. Hi, Jo. So in this world of hybrid working, in which we are now in, I decided to work for my local coffee shop this morning. I went in, I ordered a caramel latte, and I got to work. They got me thinking, what else could I get for the price of a coffee? Well, I'm glad that you asked, Joe. For £3 a month, you could become a member of the Evangelical Alliance and truly make a difference to reaching communities with the gospel and strengthening the evangelical voice in government and in policy making. You'll receive a welcome pack on arrival, more valuable than a caramel latte, and access to our quarterly membership magazine idea on your doorstep. So to find out more, why not visit eauk.org
1: forward slash join
0: us. brilliant. Finally, we come onto a story that I first came across on Twitter on Monday, but since has been the topic of many articles across both Christian and secular news outlets. This is the story of a classroom. Someone has managed to voice record two pupils in an argument with their teacher after they said someone was mentally unwell for identifying as a cat. Uh, it then proceeded to quite a heated discussion, particularly from the teacher's end. Peter, I'm going to come to you first. What what do you make of this story and the way it's kind of been analysed and looked at across across the knees?
2: Well, it's fascinating, these two kids who sound relatively young. I mean, sort of 11, to I don't know if we've got like their ages.
0: Year nine, so that's... Year nine, uh, so
2: second year and no old money?
1: Yeah, 12, 13-year-olds. 13 13, 13, 13,
2: probably. So, I mean, their engagement with the teacher is is pretty robust, but, I mean, they're forthright. There are two genders and there are two sexes, and they're pretty open in their description of what that means, and the teacher is just... I like really pushing hard on them, but I would say quite, I mean, over the top in her pushback, very dismissive. They say, well, this is the view of our parents and they're like, well, then your parents are in trouble and as in they, they need help kind of thing. It's so patronizing and I mean, borderline, I would say kind of bullying the way the she's kind of trying to push them down in the classroom. They are incredibly robust, slightly cheeky, possibly at points, but fundamentally, this is a culture clash, like right at the core of it. And I yeah, I'm fascinated kind of theologically, philosophically at every level. This is chaos. There's another kid identifying as a cat and they're just going, that doesn't make sense. And the government has ultimately intervened and said, hold on, we need to review this. This is a problem. It had recently issued some guidance around topics that are related to this. And I think the government's rightly really saying, whoa, 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 we need to really review what is going on in our schools." So I have questions about R.S.A. about school culture, about some of the movements that are going on in schools, and what kids are being pushed into. And these kids were strong enough to kind of push back, and actually, they easily outmaneuvered the teacher, and rightly so.
0: (laughs) I do, I do want to have a moment of a balance of. I mean, this teacher, she does, she loses it a lot more than the kids do. She ends up calling them despicable, and actually there's something it's almost terrible to say there's something almost entertaining by how relatively calm the kids stay but I do think at this point in the year we should have a moment of compassion of being a teacher in general being a teacher's year nine kids I remember being in year nine I mean I was a nightmare most people were a nightmare in year nine and also feeling sorry for teachers in this moment with what they've been given to teach in t- terms of relationships and sex education is super vague and being told kind of what language they can and can't say. But other than that, it's kind of a bit of a free-for-all. So it must be a nightmare for teachers.
1: So this is this is the, the issue that the teachers do need better guidance around these topics. And the government have said that they will issue imminently. It was uh, trailed in some of the newspapers earlier this week, their guidance around trans and gender ideology, what can be taught, how schools should deal with uh, pupils who are wanting to socially transition, should they tell their parents, or all those sorts of issues. So we're expecting some information. This will apply to schools in England, only the other nations have their their, their own approaches to this. So we're expecting some further guidance to this. So I, I do agree that teachers are in a difficult position, but I think what we see is you see a small number of teachers that are at very activist in their wanting to push an approach to sex and gender and trans and other issues that that is leading to these problems. And then you have a lot of other teachers that have been caught up in it. And I think that's what you're seeing is you're seeing a a culture shift that has kind of gone faster than a lot of culture and certainly faster than the law. So the UK government has said that they're not going to change the law around gender identity but what's happened is in culture that socially transitioning has meant that a lot of people are identifying as a as another sex and then schools are having to deal with that I think what has brought this home is that I think some people are just trying to get their head around questions around gender identity and then you're like well we've got cats we've got dinosaurs we've got someone wearing a cape and saying they're identifying as the moon I think in these areas that there is a level of kind of, hang on a minute, let's just use some common sense here. I saw someone tweet something that I thought was really helpful around this, that we have lost the art of pretending. We can pretend to be an animal, the opposite sex, an object, take on ideas, pretend to be other people without actually being that thing. And children do that. I, I have a three-year-old daughter. She pretends to be a dinosaur. Uh, she enjoys pretending to be a dinosaur. I would not want to affirm her as a dinosaur. And I think like, there's a level of common sense that we just have to apply to some of this. And yet we seem to have lost this in this situation. And it was the it was the pupils in the school who were displaying the common sense in this situation.
2: Yeah, from the mouths of babes, I think we had the wisdom in this moment. But I, I also think parents panic sometimes. And, and I would want to say as a parent, like, we're still the primary po- voice into our kids' lives as parents. So, like, yes, schools are off the charts in some areas. I have some sympathy for teachers, but less than you, Joe. And this this teacher had an agenda and an ideology and was driving it. But I have sympathy overall because this is a very difficult space. But some parents are kind of like, "Oh my goodness, this is a, I can't cope." And I'm like, "Well, you're still the primary voice, and it's our job as parents and as youth leaders and in church context to make sure we are shaping the young people we get to engage with, because it's mes- massively fractured out there. So you have simultaneously our last story, Andrew Tate, influencing a whole lot of people in a very different direction. And then you have, you know, within the LGBT community and worlds, the very different narratives, and they're, it's causing chaos. So for me, this is a Genesis moment. You go back to the chaos of Genesis, the, the Tovu Wavahu, is in the Hebrew, like it's a chaotic world, and God always speaks order.
0: <laughs> for, a, for a second, I thought you'd lost your mind. What say say that the
2: Hebrew. Tovu Wavahu is the is the is the chaotic, the formless void at the beginning in Genesis, and God speaks into both the formlessness, the chaos. And he brings form and order and he speaks into the emptiness and brings life and, f- and fills it. But it's the chaos. So the constant theme, if you like, is the cha- the waters of chaos are always at the edges trying to come in again. But God is the God who brings order uh, in these moments. And that order is about what does it mean to be human, male and female. All those things are in the Genesis text. So for me, this is the forces of chaos. It's one of the reasons people go to someone like Jordan Peterson, because he wrote a book, Antidote to Chaos, How to Bring Order, 12 Rules for Living. Now, he doesn't have the answers in my view, but again, it's a, an encouragement to us as Christians in this world of chaos, we need to speak order. And you can see the forces of chaos coming in. And it's not just as it's Andrew Tate and this narrative and ideology and gender ideology is being taught in those schools, which are massively conflicted with each other. And yet you're seeing them and will have weird overlaps maybe, but coming together. How do you as a kid navigate that? So huge voice out to parents and and massive piece of for us to get back and actually speak order into a world of chaos. I actually think, again massive opportunities.
0: I am, yeah. I do need to brush up on my Hebrew. As our resident lawyer, I did actually have a question because how there's this moment in this video where one of the kids says, "Well, that's just my opinion," and the teacher says, "It's not an opinion." Oof. The other work that I've been doing for the EA this week, I've been looking at Article 9 and 10 of the European Convention of Human Rights, getting my uh, fake lawyer hat on.
2: You have um, all the fun.
0: <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. And there's this protection there of our kind of freedom and right to hold an opinion. How how do those two things interact? Can you answer that for me?
2: Interact in what? Just
0: In uh are they free to have that opinion? When does an opinion become fact? Who decides what's opinion and what facts? Could you say that those kids are having their human rights removed in that moment?
2: Well, so what we do know from a fairly recent case, the forced data case, was that the, the gender critical beliefs, as it's called, are protected. So that belief that... Uh, a man is a man, a woman is a woman. And the kids do use very expressive language. If you've got kids listening, pause for a moment. But the kids do say, if you have a vagina, you're a woman. If you have a penis, you're a man. That's the kid's articulation. And that is the gender critical belief that is protected in law. And that was confirmed by the the Forstater case. So yeah, that is a protected belief in the same way that Christianity is a protected belief. uh, Islamic faith is a protected belief. So yeah, those rights are protected. Now, Then you go to the opinion fact question that you have, and the teacher and the kids are both merging opinions and facts. Sex is a biological reality. That's a protective belief. I would accept slightly different kids that there are a variety of genders. I don't like that, but that's the reality. Gender is more subjective. And so people have all sorts of ways in which they choose to identify. I might disagree with that, but you cannot change your biological sex in our society. Gender is is something that people have decided to redefine in lots of different ways, but there is a risk to redefining language. I'll stop my rant too far, but I mean, that's what, that's what Babel is fundamentally about, redefining language on our own terms. And then you can't have communication, you can't have meaning, you can't have conversation. So if we're going to redefine language, there are consequences to that and they become very negative very quickly. So forget about rights for a second. There's a deeper problem when you just try and redefine language and the Bible's warned us where that goes.
0: Thank you. I'm glad I asked. Uh, If you're a parent listening to this and you're thinking, well, what do I do with all of this? Look no further, because the EA have brought out a resource called Time to Talk, how to have better conversations about relationships and sex education. You can find that on the EA website now. I'll link it in the cross-section webpage this week and in on the 25th of september which is a monday a long long way away but worth marking in the calendar we are hosting a webinar for parents and those working with young people it's called talking about our bodies we're going to be covering consent harassment and body image we're having uh, ed drew the director of faith and kids he's going to come and share lots of insight and wisdom and it's hopefully going to be a really encouraging time where we'll leave more confident with how we have these conversations in an age-appropriate way any uh closing comments before we round up this week cross-section
2: oh no joe we leave the epilogue to you I always like you are it's your job to land cats Andrew Tate, and uh submarines it's all about yep. language the importance of words what about that how we describe things is so important how we frame the conversation um we're reminded again and again the biblical text of the importance of the words that we speak And we can bring life with those words and we can shut down conversations. So for me, the takeaway is about language and just being careful what I say.
0: Thank you. And thank you for listening to this eclectic episode of Cross Section. We'll be back next week for the season finale of Series 5. We will see you then.
2: Hi, it's Peter here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Cross Section. If you liked it, can I encourage you to click subscribe, review the podcast, share the episode on social media or tell your friends so that they can enjoy it too. And don't forget you can email us at cross.section at eauk.org. See you next time.